Okay, we are learning Daf Nun Vav, starting from the very top of the Amit. So the Mishnah continuing, someone takes a neder from a specific type of thing. We're trying to figure out what's included in that term. So Hanodim and is someone who takes a neder, is not going to have a from a house. So the question is, what if that house, that particular house, had a second story? So is the second story included in the home or not? And it's a little bit different, the upper stories from today, the way we think of an upstairs. Of course, the upstairs is part of the house today. But back in the times of Chazal, things were different. It was more like, you know, like a, think of like a motel. But like the second floor has like its own entranceways, its own fire escapes. So you got up there and stuff, ladders. So more in the line, like a second story, which was really its own. So that's the question, whether the second story is included in the term of the house. So according to Reb Mayer, it is not. So therefore, even if a person made the nether to abstain from the particular home, but he's allowed to go to the upper story. No, it's not true. The aliyah, the upper story, is in fact included in the term of the home. It's considered a chelak of the home. It's considered a part of the term of bias. However, everybody agrees on Rosh Aliyah. If someone said, I'm not going to have Ana from the upper story, then of course, Motor Bias, he used Motor to the lower floor. So if he said to the, to the bias, there the Chachamim are saying that the upper story is included in the bias. The mayor says not. But where he said from the aliyah, everybody agrees, he is Motor to the main part of the home. Says the Marmantana, who teaches the following prices. So here, what we're talking about is the, uh, the halacha of Beis HaMenuga. Beis HaMenuga, the Torah tells us that saras can be found on different things. It can be found on a person, it can be found on a clothing, or it can be found on one's home. So here we're talking about the conditions. What does it mean saras in the home? And it gets very serious. Possibly you have to destroy the whole home, demolish the dismantle, take away the stones, the whole, the whole story in the Torah. So it says bibase. There's an extra word where it says in the home. The rabbis say, even if it's on the porch-like area of the home, that can also be saras. Then it says again, bibase, an extra word. La rabbi says aliyah. That's what we need. And it says, and it's an extra word that we see it comes to include the upper story, meaning not only if the mitzvah is found on the main lower level of the home, could it become a, the whole din of the home becomes a house of saras that has all the halakha saras applied to it, but even if it's found on the aliyah, it also has. So which of the two opinions of our Mishnah is that consistent like? When we're saying the home, the base, comes to include the word aliyah. So Amar Chista, Rameir, it's only going like Rameir. Rameir holds that without an extra word, you would say, the aliyah, the upper story, is not part of the home. That's why the Torah has to go out of its way to write the extra word base to tell me if the Taras is found on the upper story, it's still subject to Taras. Why? If you say we're going like the Rabbanon, what are the Rabbanon saying in our Mishnah? That's Tom. Intuitively, the upper story is included in, this, in the term of a home. So, why would the Torah have to go out of its way to write an extra word to be more inclusive and tell me that the upper story could also be subject to Taras? Intuitively, if the Torah says in a home, then of course I say that the upper story is part of it. Must be that 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 particular din is not going like the Rabbana. That particular din was only like Rameir, and, and that's why the Torah had, had to go out of its way. Says the Gemara, it's not necessarily true. It could be that teaching was going like the Rabbana as well. And you do need a Pasuk. You may have thought to say, the Pasuk doesn't just say in the home. It says, in the house of the land that you possess. So what is it saying? The house of the land. So what exactly does it mean, the house of a land? So I would say what it means is the Machaber Ba'arish may is only the part which is attached to the ground, meaning the lower story, which actually has built its foundations connected to the ground. There we say for the purposes of Saras, it's called base Eretz. But Aliyah, in regard to the top story, the upper story is not attached to the ground. So I would say even the Rabbanon, who generally say that the upper story is included in the term of a home, the Rabbanon would agree that it's a home, but base Eretz... 
the home of the earth, which the Torah specifies you need for Tzaras, I would say it's not base Eretz. So that's why the Torah has to write an extra word and go out of its way to tell me, no, that the upper story is included. Says the Gemara a little bit more. According to whom is the following statement from Avuna Barachia said, uh, in the name of Ula, who is he going like? What did he say? He said, Bayis Bibesi Animochalach. A seller said to a purchaser, so this is a Choshed Mishpah question. Stam, commerce. So you have a seller and he used a particular language. He said he made a commitment and a deal to give a house in my home. Bayis Bibesi. So basically he took, you know, let's just say $200,000 and, and, and there's a deal that he's going to give him a home. But he doesn't just say a home. He says a home in my home. So the loss is, he, what, what does Ula say? He could show the purchaser an upper story. Meaning, if he likes, if he prefers it that way, the seller can basically mess up the buyer and say, what did I mean? What did we agree to? I said a home in my home. So what I said, I was, what I was giving you is, a home in a home is a reference to an upper story. Now, obviously, that's the inferior. Nobody wants that as much as the downstairs. The downstairs is, is much more... Um, more usable and definitely preferable. So he has that right because that's that that that's what it is. That's that was my language. So until you can prove that I, there was a different intent in the sale and there was already a Kenyan or whatever it is, so you can't go back. We said bye So now the language here it was because he said The only reason the seller can do that to the buyer is because he used the language a home in my home. But if you would have just said, I'm giving you a home, I will buy some. If you just said, I'm giving you a house, then the implication is that the seller cannot give him an upper story. A home in general cannot include an upper story. A home generally just means a lower story. So it's if I say a home in a home, then the language could tolerate that he meant upper story. But if I just say a home, then it sounds like it can't mean an upper story. So that sounds like Lemir Rameir here, that that's only like Rameir. Rameir is saying that in the Mishnah, that the term of a home cannot refer to an upper story. So, so that's why according to Rameir, the statement would make sense. Bias should be based, he could show him the upper story, but a plain bias, he cannot. If you go like the Rabbanon, even if you just said plain bias, a plain home, it should be able to tolerate that uh, maybe the home that he's showing, that he's talking about, is an upper story. So the Gemara rejects that. Because my Aliyah, what does it mean? We completely misunderstood what Ula said. Ula said he could show him Aliyah. We thought that meant an upper story. So we're saying, no, 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 no. Aliyah means Mu'ulah. Mu'ulah means the most valuable, like the highest quality. He must show him the best of the homes. It doesn't mean, we thought Aliyah means an upper story in the statement of Ula. What we're saying now, and it's hard because, you know, where it comes from the same shorash, because upper is Allah, like high, elevate. So you could mean a second story, but it could also mean an elevated home, like a higher, more valuable home. What Ula is saying is, if I say I'm going to sell you a home, I can give you any home. I didn't tell you which home I'm going to give you. I made the deal. Now, you know, I'm not giving you the most valuable home. Too bad on you. You could have specified which home you wanted. But if I said a home in my home, what was I saying? The choicest of homes. That's what I was saying. The elevated home. The most chash of a home. So originally, we understood Ula's statement to mean that, what he could show him the upper story. So we thought that he was saying the upper story because he said a home in the home and it's only going to grab there. Gamar is saying, no, what it means is if he said a home in the home, then, he, then the seller is compelled against the seller's wishes. The seller is compelled to show him the best, the highest value, uh, the most valuable home. That's indeed the intent of Ula. All right, so we conclude, Machlegas Rameir and the Rabbanon, if a home, the term of a home includes the upper story or not, um, but we end up saying that the statement of Ula has nothing to do with that. Here we go. Someone who takes a nether, that he's not going to get benefit 
from a bed. I'm not going to use a bed. The guy makes such a nether. Motor dargash is permitted for him to benefit from something called a dargash. A dargash is a different thing. It's not exactly a bed. Now, we're going to have to figure out when the world is a dargash. So we'll see in the Gemara. Divi Rabbi Meir, this is only the opinion of our Meir. It's not true. Dargash Bachalamita, the term of the dargash is included in the term of bed. So if someone took the nether from the bed, they would be ushered to the dargash. However, in the other way around, the Nogamna dargash, if someone took the nether to abstain from the dargash, there everybody agrees, Motor Bimita would be permitted to, permitted to make use of the bed. In other words, dargash is certainly a very specific type. So just if you said, I'm not going to have the dargash, you're permitted to the bed. But if you said, I'm taking a nether from the bed, that's where the machlik is, is the chachamim say dargash is considered part of the term of bed and you'd be ushered to it. Rameir says it's a different thing, you wouldn't be ushered. So the Gemara tries to define my dargash. What is the dargash? Amar Ula, Arsat the Gada. It's a bed. Of Gada. Gada is like um, like a good omen. So this is a fascinating concept. That this idea of having a bed, which you don't use. You know, a bed, just to give a little bit more context and understand it. A bed was basically like a couch. It was also, they would lie down and sometimes they'd sleep. But it was also, they didn't have a distinction then between like couch and bed. So they basically, they would have some sort of um, couch in the home, which nobody sat on. It's like, you know, like you have Kisei Shalio Anavi. And it's like there's a specific malach and a protective angel of the home. And he has a seat. He has a seat. Nobody sits there. It's good mazel. Fascinating idea. You would see it sounds a little bit, you know, like spooky. But that's, that's the idea. They had such things back then. So it's not made to sit on. It's like very unique. So that's why the Gemara is trying to figure out. It, it, it can kind of look like a bed. Everything about it is regular. Totally regular. You go to the regular, this regular bed market, you buy a bed. Just you bring it home and it gets its own title and you set it in the corner and nobody dares sit on it, so on and so forth. So it's called something different. It's called Darga. So now we're arguing, is Darga considered a bed? And that's, again, just a question of language and the way that people speak. But now we, at least we understand what the, what, the, what the issue is. So the Gemara doesn't buy it because the Mishnah says, so we're talking about when a king is sitting shiva, so the law is that when after a person buries one of their relatives, the first thing is that the community provides a sudas havra. Sudas havra is the mourner's meal. He shouldn't eat the first meal from his own food, but rather his neighbors, his friends, provide him for the food. When they're feeding him, this Jewish king, the mourner's meal, so everybody else, so this is why it's complicated, because the king is sitting shiva. So on the one hand, he's sitting shiva, he's lowered, he's, you know, he's, he's coming to his knees here, he's vulnerable, he's the avil. On the other hand, he's the king. You have to show him respect. So it's very tricky. So it says, everyone else is sitting on the ground. So the king, we find a very good place for him to sit. He sits where? He sits on the dargish. So the Gemara starts to understand why that would make any sense. Obviously, the point is, he's not going to be sitting on the ground like a regular avil because he's the king, but he's also not going to be sitting on a regular gishmaka couch. So what does it say? He sits on the dargish. But says the Gemara, that doesn't make sense. What's the whole idea? If the dargish is this, the bed where the, the it's reserved for the angel of the home, where nobody ever sits and no one would ever sit there, does it make sense that that day he's going to sit there? In other words, it doesn't make sense that if the king who never sits there, he's the king, but he's not going to dare sit on the, on the angel's bed. So, so, so why would it make sense that suddenly now that he's an oval, he's going to sit there? It doesn't make sense. In other words, we must not be correctly translating what a darga is. So the Gemara says, well, that's not compelling sort of argument because the king does switch his sort of activities when he's in Avon. Maybe it's no different to eating meat and wine. The whole year. Does a person necessarily eat meat and drink wine? If you want to, you don't. You do. If you don't want to, you don't. But on that day, by the Sudha Savra, we almost compel 
<coughs> the oval, the king, we forced the meat and wine upon him, which is a very interesting Allah, one of the biggest misconceptions that people have about Avelis is that they have to be sad. And that's not necessarily a precise argument. Actually, uh, the mourners are, come, are, are encouraged to eat meat and drink wine. According to the Gemara in Erevin, the very purpose of wine, wine is meant to console the mourners. It was considered good. It was considered obligatory to have many cups. The rally later was abolished because people were getting too drunk. But essentially, the Gemara is saying is that we see activity changes when a person is in Avil. Sometimes during an Avil, you have to raise a person. You have, to, you have to pick them up. So it wouldn't be such a hard thing to understand. Maybe the Darga really is, like we said, the bed of good fortune. Normally, the king doesn't sit there despite his status of being king. But when he's Avil, we have to mamish pick him up. The same way we force him to eat meat and drink wine. We compel that upon the Avil. Maybe for the king, when he's in Avil, he would actually go and sit on, on the Dargish, which is normally not sat on. So we don't necessarily have a question from the fact that the king is sitting there. So the Gemara says, El HaKasha, rather, if we have a question on Ulo's definition, that is the bed of good fortune, this is our question. Tanya says in a bride, so let's just understand, there's a chiv of kefias hamita, to overturn the beds. So just understand what's going on here. We don't practice that anymore when we're Avelim. Tosos explains in many places that the Pshad is, we live in times when if we would do such things, it would be darke ha'emori. It would be considered practices of those, you know, who believe in the heebie-jeebie stuff and Avodah Zarah and all sorts of forbidden things. So therefore, for us, we don't flip our beds. We don't do that. We just sit on the floor and we're yodzei archiv of not sitting comfortably by sitting on the floor. But in the times of the Mishnah and the Gemara, it wasn't enough that the Yavah would sit on the floor. The Yavah actually had to go around and turn over all the beds of the home. They would flip around all the beds. It was like a symbolism that like, you know, no one for comfort. So Alkopanim, everything like their world was overturned. Like that's the concept. You can't even sit down. So it says that the Dargush is not overturned. You just stand it like in an upright position. So meaning you're leaving it standing in an upright position and vertically and that suffices. You don't have to completely uh, flip it. A regular bed, you flip. But the Darga, you just stand in an upright position. So says the Gemara, how do we make sense of that? If you're right, that what the Dargish is, is really just a bed of good fortune. So why don't you just turn over regularly? What, 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 why is it different than any other bed? And maybe you're going to say, because you don't normally sit in it, but that's not true. So it says in the price, when you have a chiv to overturn your bed as an ovo, not only you overturn your bed, you have to turn over all the beds in the home. So if there's a din, you have to turn over all the beds in your home, not only your personal bed. The ovo, let's say, learns, lives with many people. And, and, and he has one bed, everybody else has their own beds. When the ovo is a chiv, it's all the beds in the home. So if all the dargish is, is a bed of good fortune. It's included in the beds of the homes. So if it's included in the beds of the home, it should be overturned as well. So what we're attacking is Ula's definition. Ula has been telling us that the dargish is the bed of good fortune. Our problem is that it says during Shiva, the dargish is not overturned, but just stood upright. Why? If, it's, if it has the, the physical makeup of regular bed, then why shouldn't it be overturned as well? So the Gemara says, oh, Lokasha. That question is not a good question. I was really we're defending what Ula said. It's a bed of good fortune. However, the reason you don't overturn it, it's no different from a couch where it's not made for sitting. It's made to store things. So let's say a person has a very cluttered home and they designate a couch. Instead of sitting, it's like a uh, place where you store things. Then you don't turn it over. What's the pshat? Because overturning is only for things that are designated for the sitting and sleeping. So we could say that the same thing is true for the dargish. The dargish really is the bed of good fortune. But since it's 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 preserved for the angel of the home, so it's exempt. So it's exempt from 
um, uh, turning over regularly. Now, what's interesting is that we still said you have to turn it upright. Why do I have to turn it upright then? It's like a little bit of a monoshach. If we're arguing the reason I don't have to turn it over is because it's not made for sitting or, or, or sleeping, then why do I have to do anything at all? Okay, interesting question. Bottom line is, now we return to Ula. So, so far everything is good. What is the Dargish, the bed of good fortune? All right, now it's going to get, we might need some illustrations here. It's tough to figure out the next Gemara because we don't live with these things. We don't live with these forms of couches and, and, and beds, but we'll try. Eli, Akasha, Akasha, we have Akasha, we have Akasha from here. The time he says in Rosh Hashanah, disagrees. He says, Dargish, Matir Karbitov, Vunovam Elov. And you have an oval, and he's a Dargish in the house. What you do is you untie the loops and it will fall by itself. So just to understand a little bit as well, is that it sounds like the dargish has some sort of like material for the interior, meaning you have an, the frame, you have a bed frame made of like wood, and then you've got like loops, holes in the, in the exterior of the frame, and then you're connecting some sort of material that goes on the inside through the loops. So what it sounds like we're saying is you don't have to overturn the bed, but what you do is you untie the loops, and then the whole inner material will fall down by itself. That's what he's saying. So the first Hana was saying that you don't really have a chiv kfiyas amita, just stand it upright. Rishim Gamliel is saying, no, you do have to be kofa the mita. The way that you're kofa the mita is you untie the loops that are in the frame, and then the whole inner will fall by itself. If it's like Rabbi Ula said, that it's a regular bed. It's the same exact physical makeup of any other bed, just it's designated for the angel and not meant for sleeping. So karpitin mi islay, does it have any loops whatsoever? A regular bed does not have loops. No, so the point that we're saying is a loops probably are made for a portable bed because that's what it is. You want to be able to get off the material on and off easily. But a regular bed, probably the inner material is going to be strongly to, uh, permanently connected to the exterior frame, not with loops. So if we were talking about Shemin Gamliel saying that what I do with the Dargish is that I untie the loops... So clearly a dargish is not a regular bed. What it is, we still have to determine. <laughs> but what first we have to determine is not like what Ula said. Ula was saying it's a regular bed. The whole thing is, is that it's designated for the angel of the home. We're saying, Rishman Gamliel is saying with a dargish is that I untie the loops and that's how I'm, I'm, I fulfill Kviya Samita. We see it's not a regular bed. We don't assume a regular bed would have the loops. So therefore the Gemara refutes Ula. What Ula said that it's a regular bed reserved for the angel is wrong. Now we're going to offer a different, a different shot. And just to understand a little bit, the essential idea what's now switching is that, it, is that the Dargish is a different type of bed, which is more portable. It's got the loops. And therefore the point is that it's made to take on and off easier. So the Gemara explains the, what exactly is the distinction. How does a regular bed look versus how does the portable Dargish look? So Kiyasa, Ravan, Amar, Shildil, Marabana, asked from Israel. I asked him what a dargish is, and the reason I asked him was he used to he used to do business with the leather. He was always in the leather market. And, and, he, and he said to me as follows: My dargish dargish is a bed of leather of leather. So meaning it's a wooden frame. It has holes in the in the, in the sideboards on the outside, and you have a leather sheet that has straps on the edges would be suspended inside of the frame. So that's what we meant when we. We said that Rashim Gamliel was just saying that you untie the loops and it falls by itself. What is falling by itself? It means the, the leather material, which is hanging by the loops that's going to the, the wooden frame on the outside, that's exactly what it is. So now, what is a regular bed versus this, right? We haven't yet said what a regular bed is. But so far, a dog is just to understand you have a nice slab of leather, nice good piece of leather. And the exterior, you've got these things that are going to be tied into loops that go into the holes that are on the exterior wood, wooden frame.
So now the Gemara gets back into that, into what's the distinction between a bed, the way a bed look, and the way a dagash. What is a bed and what is a dagash? In a regular bed, where do the ropes go? You have ropes, the material goes over the wooden frame. So meaning it's permanently affixed. You have the ropes where the, the, where the frame, not the frame, where the, the inner part and the, the ropes are going over the, the frame itself. So they're going on top of it because it's permanent. You're never going to take it off. So you have, that, you have the frame and you have the ropes which are going and attached, going around the, the frame that is surrounding it. Whereas Dargish was talking about we attach the straps from within. By the Dargish, the frame has nothing on top of it. The frame is just a plain piece of wood. You just have holes in the frame where loops are attached, and then you are hanging, suspending the piece of leather from the inside. So the Gemara now just challenges not the Dargish part, but the, the bed part. We've been assuming that what you do with a regular bed is that the ropes of the bed, you wrap it around the sideboard. That's what we've been assuming. So the Gemara says, it says, at what point do wooden kalim become susceptible to tumah? So let's just explain a little bit. Wooden kli can be susceptible to tumah, but what's the big rule? That the malacha has to be finished. In order to become susceptible to tumah, it can't be in the middle of being manufactured. It has to be that the finishing touches, the gemar hamalacha, the finishing of the manufacturer has to be done. It has to be completed. So we're trying to figure out at what point is something considered completed. So we say, we're talking about a bed, hamita varisa, a bed or a crib, misha shafam bo'ar hadog. You have to be when the um you know it's like a wood class used to take like a sand the wood like to make it smooth so that's basically what this is they would they would rub uh like uh, with fish skins interestingly enough that's what they would do they would finish the wood with like a smoother finish using the fish skin so once you do that now it's macabre toma so now let's think this through why go back mamish to the time you were in fourth grade when we're working with the wood so what's the shot that you would smooth and make it say, because you want to, you, that's the part you're touching. You don't want to, you know, get any of the, you want a nice smooth finish. But says the Gemara, you meet the Mysterious if anyways the ropes of the bed go over and cover the frame. So what do you care? Why do I need to make sure I rub it with the fish skin? Anyways, it's covered with the rope. The appearance of how smooth it is, it should make no difference to a person. Why would I care how smooth the material of the wood is and the frame if anyways the ropes that are in the inside go and are attached by surrounding the outer wooden frame? Must be what we said is not true. The ropes of a regular bed are not wrapped around the frame. So once we did that, we've rejected Rabirmiya's distinction between a bed and a dargish. Until now, we've been saying that the distinction is that in a dargish, it doesn't go around the frame, but rather there's holes in the frame and there are loops that are connected and that and, and then with that I I I I hang, I suspend the leather inside. Whereas a regular bed, it, with the ropes inside, the ropes go over and cover the outside of the bed. But the Kamara has rejected that. We showed that even in a regular bed, the ropes are not going around. So now we need a sharper distinction between a bed and a dargish. Says the Kamara, both the dargish and a regular bed are bound from within, meaning both have holes in the sideboard that, that, that hang the inner material. But what is the difference? In a regular bed, the ropes are threaded in and out of the slits of the sideboard, meaning the ropes themselves that are the middle of the bed they go in and out of the holes that are in the sideboards. Darga, Yuli, So the Dargush, with the, they have straps and the leather sheet, they go in and out of the loop. So meaning the difference is, the key is that the leather material is not going in and out of the holes. There's rather a loop that goes in and out of the holes and then hangs the leather material from the inside. That is the main distinction. And I think all of this is just about 
how easy it is to move it. That's all about what it's about. When you have the regular material, which is more permanent, the wood, the, with, with the, the, the ropes, as we clarified, they don't go around the wood. We clarified that. They go inside holes in the sideboards, but they're going, the, the ropes themselves are going inside that hole and being wrapped around. It's more of a permanent thing. It's not easy to take out all those ropes. Masha'enke, when I'm dealing with the dargish, which is a nice, flab, uh, soft piece of leather, it would be suspended through loops that are going through the holes in the sideboards. That is the chilek between the, bo- the bed and the dargish. So now that we've clarified all this, by the way, let's go back to the fact of what we said. What were we saying? So okay, it's a specific type of bed. That was the machlokas in the Mishnah. Someone said, Mita isn't including darkish. That was machlokas from Mary. So now the Rabbana said, yeah. But what's with the kfiyas Samita now? Do I turn her over the darkish? According to what we're saying, a darkish is meant for sitting and sleeping, right? So what's the pshah? You don't do it. So the Rishonim here explaining, the Ran says, the reason why the Tanakama was mekel is because if you would turn over the darkish, evidently the leather can get ruined. That's the pshat. Here, if you're kofa the meat of dargish, it's a nice fat piece of leather. If you turn it over, it can hit the floor. Maybe it's damp. Maybe there's something that's not good for the material. That was the whole Indian of the dispute of what to do. Now the Gemara continues another type of bed for how to overturn. Let's say you have a double posted protrusion, meaning a double, you ever see like those canopy beds? Like, you know, like the little girls sleep in, you have like a bed, then you've got like a teepee that's being formed on top of the bed. So how are you going to turn that bed over in the house of Shiva? So the Gemara says, you're right, you can't do it regularly. We do like what what the Tanakhama said here. Zogfa, you just stand it upright on the end. Vidalio, that suffices. You don't have to make a full overturn because you wouldn't be able to, it's not a point, but rather you turn it vertically on its side and that, uh, that suffices. Now the Gemara just says we had a machlokis again with the dargish, whether or not you, you, you just turn it upright or you undo the, the, the loops and the leather falls. That actually you do let it fall to the ground. We're not concerned for the leather getting ruined. That was the dispute, but the halacha, it seems like we go like Rav Okay, continuing on here, no diminut year. Someone hears is the dark becoming bigger. The, the, the nether hears he's not going to benefit from a particular city. The guy's very upset. A certain residents, certain type of city he says, "I'm not benefiting from that city." So You can't go into the regular part of the city, but the tchum of the city he could benefit. What is the tchum? Tchum is the outskirt of the city. There's a certain two thousand ama radius which surrounds the city, which is like outside the city, and that's Gubar point that the tchum is the tchum of the city. It's not part of the city itself. So therefore, someone said they're not going to benefit from the city. They are in fact permitted to go inside the tchum. However, also they can't go into the extension of the city. The extension of a city is that in the 70 and two-third arm of uh, radius around the city, so much smaller area, any like random homes or like even watchmen's huts are considered like Ibor. Ibor means pregnancy. It's like an extension of the city. That's the idea. So it's treated very differently, halacha. There's Tchum and Ibor. For example, in Hilcho Shabbos, the 2,000 Amma is only measured from outside the Ibor, not outside the, from the city limit itself. The Ibor is a natural extension of the city. The Tchum is the outskirt of the city. Very different terminology. So the Tchum, you're allowed to go in. That's not part of the city. The Ibor is an extension of the city itself. It's viewed within the city limits. Very, very subtle. When someone vows that he's not going to go into a home, it's us for him to go from the door frame inward. It means we're talking about the porch here. You have like a, an interior of a home. Obviously, you can't go in if you took another from the home. But here, what about where the porch area is? So like there's a stoop and it could be covered with something. So the Mishnah is ruling, you're only allowed in, you're only also in the place from the, where the door frame, where the door closes from that part and in. But when the door is closed, the part on that door, on that stoop, that would still be outside of the door, that is permitted. So we're basically saying there's no concept of an extension of a home. In a city, there's an extension of the city, anything that's within 72 Thursama, where the homes or something would be. So it's an extension of the city, you can't go there. But by a home, there's no extension of the home. It's only from where the door closes and in where you're not allowed to go, but anything outside that is mutter.
Says the Gemara, From where do we know that an extension of a town is treated like a town? The concept of our Mishnah, that it's an extension, it's viewed as the city itself, where do we know that? So this Pasuk is, and then right before Yeshua and the Jewish people are about to attack Yericho, remember what happened is they blew the shofar and the walls fell down. So it was the night before Yeshua was preparing for battle. He was visited by an angel, the whole story over there in Sefer Yeshua. But it says that he was in Yericho. So my be Yericho, what does it mean he was in Yericho? Even if Yericho Mama said he was already in Yericho, what do you mean? He's yet to attack it. That's the whole story. What does the Pasuk go on to say? It was completely sealed. No one left and entered. So before they they conquered it, obviously Yeshua can't be inside of the sealed walled city of Yericho. Be the pshat is Yoshua was actually an extension of the city. So what the pasuk is saying, he was in Yericho. So we see that the extension of the city is viewed as a chiluk of the city itself, and that's how we see the concept for what our Mishnah said. So why don't I take it further? Why don't we say therefore that even more? Maybe the outskirts of the city are also part of the city. The whole tchum, the two thousand amaridis, is treated as part of the city itself. Says the gemara. What does it say about the, the tchum? So this is talking about in the cities of. Um, of, uh, of that that were given to the uh, to the Levium. So the Pasuk says, you measure from outside the city. They were given like 2,000 Amma radiuses outside the city that were left. Like it's very interesting the way, uh, the, I forget the word, like city planning or the way it was, um, the way that they planned it. Like, you know, you know, everyone complains like in New York, like does it really make sense that the park is on the other side of the highway, like all this. So in the very interesting, the Torah's perspective is that outside the city, there should be empty area. It's like a city. And outside the area, there's like just empty lands. So that's what the Pasuk is talking about. So it says you measure michutz la'ir from outside the city, 2,000 ama. So the 2,000 amas are, what's the language of the Pasuk? Outside the city. So therefore we see that the Torah does not consider the Tchum to be a chilak of the city itself. If the Torah refers to the Tchum as the place outside of the city. All right, we finish up here. Someone who says the value can't go in the house, he's only answered from the place where the door frame is in. It's not answered for him to go, despite the fact that it might be on the stoop of the home itself. So, here we're talking about, we get the house of Tsaras again today. So it says the coin looks at the house of Tsaras. He goes, he exits the house, and he closes off the house, meaning the coin declares the house to be Tame only once he exits the house. So he looks at the spot inside, he leaves, and then he's Matame the house. So it says he leaves the house. Maybe you should go back home and close it off. Meaning, maybe the idea is he goes all the way back home and secures and seals the home. So the Rishonim say, what does that mean? He goes back home and seals the home. Obviously, you're sealing the home from right where there. What does that mean? Zokhtarani means he takes a long rope. He attaches it to the door of the afflicted house. He goes all the way back home, the coin, and he uses the rope to seal it from where he is. A creative idea. The Ran understands Hesker Abayis. There's a big Chiddush Rabbi said. What does it mean that the coin is Masker Abayis Amenuka? I always thought it just means, hey, he declares it, tell me, you know, don't go in a spiritual ceiling. You see in the Rishonim here, they don't understand it like that. They understand that literally he's sealing the home. So what does it mean the coin will go home and seal it? So the Rishonim maybe means that he's going to be using a long rope to seal it off from a distant location. So if it says he leaves the base Amenuka and he's Masker the home, maybe I would say he could do it from afar. No, only to the entrance of the home. He goes right outside. The, the entrance of the house and, 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 he, and he closes it off. If it says he should be by the entrance, so maybe he should stand under the lintel. The lintel is 
by the threshold of the door post, so the outside of the home, you have two posts going up vertically, and then one cross, like, you know, from Mezuzah, that the middle part going across is called the lintel. So I would say he should stand under the lintel, mamish, on the stoop, he should go from exit, he should exit from the house, meaning to say, he has to be out from totally, he has to be completely out from the house, meaning if he would be, even be on the doorstep, standing on that part under the mashkov, that's not considered that he's out of the house. He has to leave, take one more step, exit the whole porch, exit that whole stoop that's under the lintel, and then seal it off. So what do I see from here? I see from here that if you're standing on a stoop, even if you're on the place that the door would close and you'd be outside the home, you're still considered in the home. Because the Torah is clarifying, you shouldn't be in the entranceway. You shouldn't be under the lintel. You got to be standing outside of that. So I see even the place that's under the lintel that's outside of where the door would seal you off is still considered in the home, contrary to what our Mishnah said. Before we answer that, we just continue the bride. So... How do we know? Even if the Kohen didn't listen, he didn't do the right thing. He went all the way back home and, and sealed off the afflicted house from there. Meaning he didn't adhere to the instructions that we just say. Or he was too close. He was standing under the under the lintel when he did it. How do I know that it's still effective? Even though he did the wrong thing, but after the fact, it's still effective to seal off the house. He should close off the house. However, he does it, it's still good. So bottom line is, we have an answer that we need to give an answer. Because in our Mishnah, we're saying anything that's sealed off from outside the home, anything that's going to be when the door closes. You're on the outside, you're not in the home, even though you might still be on the stoop of the home that's under the lintel. But by here, by the coin sealing off the house in that area of halacha, I see that he's got to be off the stoop completely for him to be out of the home. So the Gemara answer, Shani Gabi Bayis, it's different there. Min Habayis, it says from the house, which is Mashma, Achizim and Habayis, he's got to be totally out. So we're saying normally the door frame is not considered part of the house, like our Mishnah said. It's only if you're on the inside of the door. But there, the language of the Pasuk was extra. And it said Min Habayis, so therefore the Torah is showing it's not enough that he's outside from the interior of the home. He's got to be off that doorstep uh, completely as well.